Good afternoon, ladies and gents. It is Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022. Uh, this is the intraday version of Blue's Views. Um, apologies, I, I, I'm trying to get these podcasts, these intraday podcasts out uh, before lunchtime. But um, as you all know, I've been struggling with COVID here for the last week. And um, it, both times I've had COVID, had it last summer and obviously have it, have it again now it's really messed with my ability to, to speak and think clearly. Um, I, I'm feeling much better today energy-wise, but the head just still feels kind of clouded, and it's taking me multiple takes to get these podcasts done to my satisfaction. So uh, I will be trying to get them out uh, earlier in the day uh, for the most part. But um, uh, you know, in the meantime, I'm doing my best here. If I'm coming across as a little more muddled or disorganized, uh, than usual, uh, with with perhaps uh, a little more, a little more uh, haywire grammar. I, I apologize. I'm sure it'll go away in a few days. Here, all right. Let's uh, dive right in. So the Russia Ukraine news headlines are still just whipping markets around like crazy. Um, there's an old there's an old market maker saying, which is that uh, volatility eats liquidity, and liquidity has been poor all year. Uh, this has made it much worse. This Russia Ukraine situation. Uh, and it makes sense, right? I mean, for most of the last two years, if you threw a position on, uh, you know, you could go for a walk, uh, go for a sandwich, uh, go to see a movie and then come back. And most of the time, the position probably wouldn't have moved more than 20 or 30 basis points on you, obviously, depending on what instrument it was in. Nowadays, you throw a position on and the thing is up or down 100 basis points in a matter of minutes. So it's it's really wild out there. And, and that is discouraging participation overall. And that's something to keep in mind now. And remember, that works in both ways. Right. Um, you know, we do have the uh, short interest overall remains relatively low, but there's been a lot of put buying. There is a lot of fear out there and with good reason. Um, so if a piece of good news were to come across the tape and, and it, there's, a, there's a good chance that we could see a very nasty short squeeze just based on that lousy liquidity alone. Um, so, you know, we shall see. But this this environment, it, having some volatility is nice for trading, but this is different. This is just very highly illiquid, whipping all over the place. It makes trading the charts harder. It's kind of just one of these situations where everybody just kind of wants to say, you know what, I'm just going to wait and, and see what happens here until this Russia-Ukraine situation is over. <clears throat> Um, and th that's kind of the attitude that we've had for the last week. I mean, we've mostly sat on our hands. We've been trading a little bit around, uh, around our core pair trades positions, you know, in and out of our MNQ, uh, and that kind of thing. But for the most part, you know, I've, I've seen this movie before. I've been through a few of these crazy geopolitical situations before. For the most part, you're better off just kind of sitting tight, uh, you know, either just getting out altogether or just standing pat with what you have and letting the whole thing play out. Uh, and that's certainly what we're planning on doing for the most part. Um, so, you know, with Russia, Ukraine dominating the headlines and driving these crazy market swings, one of the things that's really getting lost uh, is what's going on under the hood in terms of macro uh, with inflation, with rates, with growth, with things like that. Most of the notes that have been coming out over the last several days have really just been rehashes, a lot of copying and pasting uh, of previously made points with a few bullet points about uh, Russia, Ukraine thrown in there as well. And that makes sense, right? I mean, most of these people that are writing these notes, they're not geopolitical strategists. They're, they're market strategists. They're economists. Um, and so they really shouldn't be commenting too much <laughs> on the Russia-Ukraine situation. Um, but I know that there are there's a, there's a pretty sizable group out there <clears throat> that is convinced that we're going to have this rip face ripping short covering rally 
the minute that the Russia-Ukraine situation uh, starts to stabilize. They may be right. I, I think we probably will certainly get some kind of a rally, um, especially with such a liquid conditions. But I think people are forgetting that, you know, like the, these tables and charts of the last 80 years and all of the geopolitical conflicts that have popped up over that per time period. Uh, and, you know, most of these charts show that if you were to buy the dip in the wake of a geopolitical crisis, you ended up making money most of the time. And listen, that may well end up being the case here as well. But the fact of the matter is, is that the fundamentals, the under the hood fundamentals of the economy um, have not been as scary uh, as they are right now in, in most of those cases. So it almost seems like this has been a just a major distraction from an unfolding well, I don't want to say a catastrophe. I'm, I'm definitely not in the camp that's calling for a big market crash or a recession or anything like that, but but from some pretty scary tightrope walking that's going to be going on for the next three or four months. Um, so we have tried to keep our focus on that under the hood stuff. We will continue to do that. Uh, so I'm digging through these notes that came into my Dropbox today, I did find a couple that had some nice incremental data points on inflation and the economy. And I think that's what we need to focus on. So the first one was Goldman Sachs. They have a whole bunch of uh, charts and things that they update, uh, I think, once a week. Uh, most of these are proprietary economic indicators, which is really cool. Uh, they're all up to date. So let's go through and see what they're saying. Uh, so the financial conditions uh, index, which uh, is pretty widely quoted and passed around, that continues to move higher, indicating tighter financial conditions. A lot of that is due to the fact that stocks continue to be under pressure. The dollar has eased up a bit, and that has helped make conditions less tight than they might have been otherwise. But overall, the trend remains very solidly up and to the right in financial conditions, and that has a long way to go. We, we, we fell so far, so deeply into easy money that we're, what we're seeing right now is just sensible, normal mean reversion. Uh, and that is set to continue for a while. They're actually raising their Q1 GDP estimates based on the recent retail sales data and on some of the utilities data that they track. And this is interesting. This brings up a, a point that I do want to touch on because I am not one of these, we're going into a big recession, guys. Uh, and, and I never have been. I mean, we're coming out of a highly unusual period uh, obviously, given the, the pandemic you know, with the, the COVID and then the Delta and then the Omicron and all of this stuff, uh, the unprecedented fiscal and monetary stimulus. Um, but I, I think that the doubt over the Fed's willingness to act, to rein these excesses in, I think that doubt has been so widespread. Um, and I, I basically, I think that people, whether it's just a psychological attempt to cover up butthurt feelings over being wrong about the Fed, I mean, you guys that have followed me on my public account uh, for a while, you know just how much grief I've taken over the last two and a half months for calling for an aggressive Fed. You know, a lot of people did not want to hear that. Some of them had good reasons. Some of them had very good arguments for thinking I was wrong. And some of them just were angry at me for saying what they didn't want to hear. Uh, obviously, I've been far from the only voice in the room calling for an aggressive uh, rate hiking cycle. But the fact of the matter is, I think a lot of these voices, which have been quieted now over the last few weeks, uh, well, really more like the last six weeks, as the Fed has made it clear, Fed speaker after Fed speaker has made it clear that they are going to act and act decisively here in the first half of the year. And they're probably going to front end load a lot of the hiking, this attitude being that the Fed does not like having no dry powder and that they're going to grab as much dry powder as they possibly can here in the first half of the year. So now that that narrative of, of oh, the Fed will never do it, they're all talk, that's kind of moved into the background. It's still out there. And I mean, I still see, now I see people passing around 
you know, tweeting things out suggesting that the Fed won't hike because of Russia, Ukraine, which is just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. If anything, you know, the war is not on our soil. And if anything, the impact that this situation has had on commodities is putting even more pressure on the Fed to act decisively and quickly. So there are always going to be people out there who are in, I'll believe it when I see it mode, and that's fine. But, you know, most of them have been run over because most of them have been long mega cap tech, uh, given their view. Um, and I think that that view, which has been proven, hasn't been proven false yet, for sure. But it has, I think, been proven to be less and less wise of a view. Um, I think those people have taken now to calling for a catastrophic recession later this year if the Fed does indeed move ahead with an aggressive rate hike cycle. So we shall see. But the point that I want to make here is that the economy is not in terrible shape. There are tailwinds emerging. People seem to have forgotten that Omicron is easing. Supply, chains conditions, uh, supply chain conditions are easing. There are some reasons to be optimistic, and there certainly are plenty of reasons to think that the Fed can get off four or five rate hikes before they're forced to stop. You know, we've been calling for seven uh, total, I think it was 175 basis points in total hiking this year. We've always had those red lines out there. Um, so, you know, we've always said that as long as HYG remains above 80, as long as LQD remains above 115, uh, as long as uh, the S&P 500 remains above 3,500. As long as those three things, uh, you know, those three conditions continue to be met, the Fed's going to continue to hike. <clears throat> now, it's not that hard to imagine a scenario where these red lines begin to fail. And if they do begin to fail, then the Fed is going to back off. I have no doubt about it. But this this notion that, you know, the Fed, though the Fed will never hike, they'll never do it. Okay, now it looks like they're going to do it. But if they do it, we're going to drop into a severe recession. It's just, I think it's just another step down a whole, a, a line of bad thinking. So there is no evidence. There, obviously, we do have manufacturing PMIs that have come off and look like they're going to be soft for a while. But there are other signs in the economy uh, of, of, of positives, of tailwinds. Uh, so another one that Bilbin points out is the fact that their economic surprise index is now back above zero. It was below zero for a while. Data is starting to surprise a little bit to the upside again. Um, their CapEx tracker, their global CapEx tracker, has remained very robust. And of course, that is a huge, hugely positive indicator for the global economy. CapEx spending always tends to lead. So as long as it remains strong, there is reason to have some optimism. Uh, labor slack continues to hit new lows. Job growth continues to hit new highs. Uh, the manufacturing, uh, so manufacturing PMIs have shown softness. There's no question about that. Mike Wilson has talked about that quite a bit of late. Um, and you know, his whole point has been that we need to stop focusing on the fed, uh, and the rate hikes because they're coming and we need to start figuring out what it's going to do to growth. So he definitely has a more bearish view of growth overall. Um, but if you look at the non-manufacturing survey, it's starting to firm up. So there are signs of there are, there are clear positives out there for the U.S. and global economies right now. Um, and again, I think they're just being ignored or tossed to, the, you know, tossed to the side of the road by people who have been wrong about the Fed. And now they want to see their new view validated by a crippling recession. So it's a bunch of nonsense, but it's out there. It is what it is. Uh, let's see. Wage growth still climbing, although they also so Goldman notes that there are signs that wage growth is starting to top out. So that'll be very, very interesting to watch. Um, it would be a real shame for American workers 
uh, whose wage growth has lagged inflation terribly. But there are some signs that that wage growth, it's not, it's not that wages are going to start declining. It's just that the second derivative is going to dip a little bit. So we'll see. Um, Goldman Sachs's overall inflation <laughs> tracker. I will tweet that out when I'm done recording the podcast. It is just like, it, it is a, it is an indicator that has gone parabolic. The inflation is broad-based. It is sticky. There are no signs that it's going anywhere, but up <laughs> right now still. Now, we all know that the comps get much harder in Q2 and Q3. Um, and yes, it's likely that inflation is going to start to decelerate. But I think there is, uh, there has been and remains a widespread expectation out there that inflation is just going to fall off a cliff throughout you know, the rest of the year. It's just going to rapidly decelerate. And that just simply does not mesh with what the data is showing. Um, and again, not all of that is a bad thing. Some of that is a function of resilience in the economy. So this notion that a uh, recession is a fait accompli if the Fed starts to hike is, in my view, uh, it's possible. It's certainly possible, but it's certainly not, you know, this done deal that many seem to be making it out to be. So anyway, let's move on to a piece by JPM. They were talking about the market. That's M-A-R-K-I-T. They have their own set of PMIs. Uh, they actually came out ahead of expectations today. Um, so I think it was actually yesterday. Was it yesterday or today? I can't remember. It was either yesterday or today. Anyway, um, higher output, higher orders, higher employment, demand, uh, quote unquote, revived uh, based on what happened with Omicron in December and January. Uh, they note that Omicron definitely seems to be fading. Supply constraints continue to moderate. So again, just there is evidence out there of resilience in the economy, and I don't think it's being factored in right now. And it, and it makes sense, right? I mean, you've got a whole group of people out there who have refused to throw in the towel on their high multiple, high growth stock longs, right? And right now, what they need is they need the economy to go into the crapper because that's the only way that the Fed will pretty much certainly back off and allow their stocks to do what they want them to do. So I think it's important to differentiate the, these different narratives that are out there and what's driving them. Um, moving on to a piece by Morgan Stanley. This is not Mike Wilson. This is actually Andrew Sheets, their cross-asset guy. He does a really nice job. Looking at 2022, he sees it as a year of solid growth. And again, I don't know how solid it'll be, but it certainly could be a year of growth. And again, I think a lot of people have already just assumed that it's going to be this horrible black hole of recessionary uh, madness, right? So solid growth in 2022, tighter policy for sure, and, and an accelerated cycle. And by accelerated cycle, he simply, mean, simply means that um, the, dip that, the dip that we do get in growth, which has already begun, um, he thinks that it's basically going to happen. Uh, we're going to bottom out and start rising again more quickly than we would in the average business cycle. So um, front end loaded uncertainty is one of his key headlines. And I mean, that's just the perfect way to put it between uh, what's going on with growth, what's going on with corporate earnings. Uh, you know, guidance has started, uh, corporate guidance has started to turn overwhelmingly negative. Uh, inflation, the Fed, Russia, Ukraine, ton of uncertainty right now. And I really do think that the smart money in my view knows that this uncertainty, which is extremely high right now, is going to ease and is probably approaching at or near a peak. When the uncertainty, because uncertainty is stock cancer, when the uncertainty begins to ease up, certain sectors are going to rip higher. And the key will be, of course, to be invested in the right sectors. I do not think that mega cap tech is going to be one of those sectors. I think they've overshot by years 
and probably are dead money for a while here. I could be wrong. We shall see. The Fed will have a lot to say about it. Uh, but the bottom line is that there, there are reasons to be thinking constructively about the stock market right now. Forget about the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, okay? Those are cap-weighted. They are far, far, far too dependent on Apple and Microsoft and Amazon, et cetera. Look, you know, look at the, spot, the sector spiders. Uh, look at the, some of the MSCI subsector indexes. There are going to be great places to invest your money over the next six to nine months. Uh, let's see. He has three general trade themes. First one, terminal rate pricing is too low. I could not possibly agree more. The market is assuming the market is assuming that the Fed is going to give up at the first sign of trouble. I don't think that they are. There is, I know there are a lot of guys out there calling for the 10-year yield to fall back to 150. I think that's frankly quite nuts. Um, bottom line, the market is still living in a 2020-2021 reality, uh, or at least it's using a 2021 playbook in a 2022 reality. The terminal rate being assumed out there is simply too low. Second thing, QE sensitive assets face high uncertainty until QE actually begins. Now, that's another great point. What are QE sensitive assets? Well, obviously, mega cap tech stocks. I mean, Bank of America put out that study back in December showing that as much as 50% of the rally in those six stocks was driven by QE. Now, there still is a lot of doubt about how far the Fed really will go. I, at the moment, given what's going on, given some of the positive signs in the economy, um, you know, and hopefully the, the Russia-Ukraine situation, both for humanitarian purposes and economic ones, turns out to be, you know, not too bad. Um, there, are, there are plenty of reasons to expect that the Fed will have the ability to continue to hike here throughout the year. And more importantly, that they will be able to initiate uh, a balance sheet rundown and continue it for a while. Remember, the last time they did this was they started, I believe, in September of 2017. They started a balance sheet runoff. And it took 14 months before the whole thing kind of went, uh, you know, belly up. So to suggest that, A, they're not going to get started with it in the first place, given what's going on with inflation, given what's going on with, with uh, psychology in the market, given the political pressure that they're under, they're going to start it. And then the question, of course, becomes, you know, how far do they go and how, how long does it continue? And... Obviously, no one knows what's going to happen. There's a lot of moving parts out here. We're in an unprecedented situation in a lot of ways. But I think to suggest that they are not going to make a very good effort to run down the balance sheet is just plain silly. And if they do follow through on that, that is why I think that mega cap tech remains dead money. I'm not saying that they're going to fall off a cliff. I'm not saying they're going to fall 30 or 40%. But what I am saying is that they will probably get run over on a relative performance basis by many other sectors, particularly value stocks and commodities. The third point that uh, Andrew Sheets makes, uh, risky assets outside of the US look okay. So this, this ties into something that we've been talking about for a while too. There are great places to put your money other than mega cap tech. There are sectors in the US worth looking at. You know, Obviously energy has been a great one year to date. Agriculture, all these commodity sectors. Value has been a very good performer. But there's also a whole world out there beyond the U.S. And there are risk assets in those geographies as well that are probably worth more of a look than the ones in the United States. So I've gone well over what I wanted to today. Again, I apologize for being a little more jumbled and disorganized than usual. I'm doing my best. Uh, we will talk to you again tomorrow.